We are uh, about to close a uh, series on the biblical worldview and mindset. We've talked about what that is. Uh, and the problem with series is by the time you get to the end of the series, people can't remember the beginning of the series. So I have to kind of do a wrap-up at the end. But I've got a couple more things to say before we get to that wrap-up. Uh, this idea of a biblical worldview and a mindset is about viewing reality from the perspective given to us by God uh, through His Word. You notice in the reading today that uh, the Lord would come when He came and the Spirit of God would be upon Him. He would not judge by what He sees or what He hears. In other words, He's not going to follow what His senses say is reality. He's going to use truth to illuminate what He sees and hears so that He will judge rightly. And we're supposed to do that. In, in the context of this worldview. Um, and then the mindset that we are to have is a mindset of obedience and humility to God so that what the scriptures really will become for us is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, and while that light doesn't show us uh, a great deal ahead of us, it does keep us from stumbling in the present. So we have to be intentional about our walking humbly with God according to His commandment and His guidance. And so part of what we need to talk about is a term that is used a lot, but not always understood, and that's the term lordship. I want to talk about lordship today. Now the term lordship itself, specifically, uh, is not found in the English Bible. Uh, I attempted to put it in the NASB in the 95 update was there on the notes for a short time and then apparently uh, went away. <laughs> uh, you win some, you lose some in those arguments. The reason for that is that there are two passages, particularly there are others, where there actually is a Greek word, kuriotes, uh, uh, which means lordship. Now it's translated dominion, which comes from the Latin word for Lord, Domini. Uh, and so the word actually does mean not dominion, that's Latin. In English, it means lordship. Uh, and this term is important because in two particular passages, one I want you to look at, um, it really is about those who reject lordship. So if you look at the uh, book of Jude, any chapter at all will be fine. The book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, Jude and in Second Peter, we are told that there are men who kind of stealthily sneak into the community. These are those sown by uh, the enemy to disrupt uh, the, 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 the word of God and the work of God. And they come in as leadership and they give the appearance of following God, but they in fact don't. And in, in verse uh, 8 of Jude, it says, In the same way these men, by their dreaming, defile the flesh and reject lordship. The word authority there is not authority. Authority is exousia in the Greek. This word is curiates. It comes from the word curios, which means lord. It means the authority of the lord. It means lordship. 
And so it's really important for us to understand that because we are beginning to live in a time when those who call Him Lord do not obey Him as authority and Lord of their life. They only see Him as Savior. And that's an important notion. So in these passages and and others... uh, False believers who come into the community of faith as leaders become their own authority and in a sense their own Lord and they reject the Lordship of God which is found in Jesus. So I want to talk about these... I'd love uh, to do... Both Jude and Second Peter are, are tied very closely to the ministry and the teachings of Jeremiah uh, in a time when those who were in leadership were prophesying falsely based on their dreams and visions that they claimed came from God and God said, I didn't send them. Because they're not speaking according to the word and they are despising lordship in that sense. But I want to talk about lordship in a more general sense. So, the Hebrew word for Lord and therefore related to this idea of lordship in English, is Adon, or Adonai, or sometimes Adonoi. This, we, we said it when we said the Shema, the Lord our God. Um, we, we use the word uh, Adonai there. And the word is not the same as the actual word that often is translated into our Bibles as Lord. That is the holy name, the name of God, the yod Hey vav Hey word that is sometimes translated, coming out of the King James tradition, as Jehovah, and in more recent times, Yahweh. So whenever you see the word Lord, and all of the letters are capital, it's a large capital and then three small capitals, when you see that, that is where... The word for the name of God is used. And rather than putting the name of God there, uh, English Bibles put Lord. And Jewish usage is to say Hashem, the name. So it's really important for you to know when the name of God is being invoked. And when it is this word Adon or Adonai, Lord. Um, And so keep that in mind. We'll look at both of those in some verses that we'll look today. I prefer not to use the name of God. I seldom will use the term Yahweh or Jehovah because that's not the pronunciation. Uh, I prefer the Jewish tradition of saying Hashem uh, or the name, which is English for that, uh, to separate that term that God gave himself as his name from the use of the word Lord, which is an important term. So, there are times when God uses His name, however, uh, for the point of lordship, or what we would call lordship. The one who has authority to command and to judge. That's what a lord is. The lord is the one who can give instruction that must be obeyed, and then can judge, punishing or rewarding those who obey what the lord has said. But there are times when the Lord actually uses His name to address this concept of lordship. I'm the one who can command, and I am the one who can, uh, can judge. And we find that in the book of Leviticus. So turn with me to Leviticus chapter 18. You're going to be turning to a lot of pages uh, today. This is one of those kinds of sermons. 
Uh, you can uh, look at them. They're listed in the bulletin, so you can look at them in their broader context later uh, to make sure that I'm not taking anything out of context. So the Lord says uh, to Moses in Leviticus 18, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am, there he uses his name, the name, your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you live, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their ways. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live according with them. I am the name, your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the name. So God doesn't use the word Lord here, but he is establishing that he who is the God of all creation and the Redeemer of Israel is in fact the one speaking, and he is Lord. This is one of the reasons why Lord is used in this context. But it is really about his name. When he, uh, when he asserts his name, he's saying, I am God, you'll do what I say. Uh, and that's, that's important. So, God uh, does use his name as a lordship term in the scriptures, meaning that he has the ultimate authority and the ultimate judge. That is the meaning of lordship. The Lord is the ultimate authority and judge. He can command and he can judge the obedience and disobedience of his command. Lordship, therefore, is a relationship between the Lord and one who is under lordship. This is very important for us in understanding the biblical worldview and mindset. Uh, Because there are times when people say, who does God think he is telling us what to do? I know what to do. Well, you have become your own Lord. Okay, Uh, And that's a dangerous thing. If a a, uh, lawyer who defends himself is a fool, and that's the old cliche, then the Uh, the servant who serves himself is the biggest fool. And we are to obey the Lord, not uh, reverse that that process. So, what is the biblical basis of lordship? Well, I've already alluded to them. Hashem is Lord through being the Creator. In Genesis 1.1, God's, the scripture says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is nothing that exists that was not created by God through his word. So that's an important part of this, that God has the ability to command us, and he has the ability to judge us because he is the creator. We see that specifically in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. I hope that you spend a great deal of time in the book of Isaiah and the book of Jeremiah. Those two texts are critical to understanding the link between the Torah and the Gospels uh, and what God is doing with Israel. The other ones fill in detail, but the broad path of that is found in Isaiah and Jeremiah. In Isaiah, chapter 40, beginning at verse 12, The scripture says, 
Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens by the span? And calculated the dust of the earth by measure? And weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? No scientist has ever done that. I mean, we, we think science is great and science has done some wonderful things. But it has just scratched the surface of the creation. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? Nobody was on the committee when God was designing his plan uh, to tell God what to do. And whom did he consult and who gave him understanding and who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him in the way of understanding? Who was the teacher of the Lord? There is no teacher of the Lord. Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn nor the beast enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him with? For an idol, the craftsman casts it, the goldsmith plates it with gold, silver is put as a chain of silver. Uh, If a person is poor, then he takes a tree that does not rot. He selects a skillful craftsman to prepare the idol so it won't wobble. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Is it not be clear to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits upon the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It is he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing and makes judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely are they planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely have they taken root in the earth and he blows on them and they wither and the storm carries them away like stubble. Who will you liken me to that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars. The one who leads them forth in their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Why do you assert, O Jacob, And assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. Are you kidding me? God doesn't know what's going on. Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to those who lack might, he increases strength. This is the Lord. This is the one who commands. He created all things. He understands all things. He doesn't need any help. And that God is the authority for this creation. Now that creation includes us. We are part of that creation. We were created and we are here Because he created us in his image. In Romans chapter 9. Beginning at verse 18. Paul is talking about God manipulating and using 
and interacting with the people of his creation. And in verse 18, he says these words. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me, who do, why does he find fault? For who is resisting his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another one for common use? What if God, willing to demonstrate his wrath and his power, uh, endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for his glory. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. God is working out a plan he has given us details of that plan. He has not given us all the details, but he's given us, us enough that we can know where we are to fit into it and what we are to do as we await for it to unfold. And we should not think that God doesn't know what he's doing, and we should not think that we know better because we're closer to the details. Because we're not. It is very arrogant to think we know better than God what's going on. And so, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 tells us that our days will be filled with darkness and we should rejoice in them when we are young and we are to remember our Creator in the days of our youth. We are to focus on God as Lord and to know that He will command us, He will instruct us, He will give us the way that we are to go. And even though we don't get it, like a little child who's saying, why are we doing it this way? Why are we doing it this way? The parent knows the path, and the child doesn't know the path. And the parent who lets that child take their own way is... is uh, putting them in danger. And so the parent keeps reminding them with correction and with instruction the way that they should go. So God does with us. He is Lord. He is Creator. Now the truth is that the Lord is Creator of heaven and earth and therefore He can judge all mankind. We are all, all human beings, subject to uh, to him because we are the objects of his creation. This is true of all mankind and including the animals and the plants and the sun and the moon and the stars. God can judge all of that creation because he is creator. But God is Lord for more than just the fact that he's created us. There is a second basis for us to know why we should obey God. And we find this in Exodus chapter 20. Now if you're a memorizer of scripture. You're going Exodus 20. That's the Ten Commandments. Well I don't want to do the Ten Commandments. I just want to take the first part. Exodus chapter 20. Verses 1 through 3. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the name, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, 
out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, what is the Lord saying? The Lord's saying, not only did I make you, but I redeemed you. He is creator and redeemer. This is what the Sabbath is all about. In the Sabbath, the, the uh, commandments to keep the Sabbath are found in Exodus and Deuteronomy. In one case, God says, you will keep the Sabbath because in six days I created the heavens and the earth and on the seventh day I rested. So as creator, you will acknowledge me. The second one says, you were a slave in Egypt and I have delivered you so that you don't have to work and you will rest on the Sabbath. I am redeemer. So when the Jews keep the Sabbath, they acknowledge that God is creator and he is redeemer. In other words, they are calling him Lord, Adonai. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Wow. He is creator and he is redeemer. Now this redeemer thing is important to understand. So I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 25. If I was in a typical church, it would take forever to get people to these passages. But you know them because you use that part of the Bible. So that's great. Leviticus 25, verse 47. Now, if the means of a stranger or a sojourner with you becomes sufficient... And a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to him as to sell himself to the stranger who is sojourning with you or to his descendants of the stranger's family. Then he shall have redemption right after he has been sold. One of his brothers may redeem him or an uncle or an uncle's son may redeem him or one of the blood relatives uh, from his family may redeem him uh, or if he prospers, he may redeem himself. Now, this notion of redemption is really important. The idea of redemption is that you have, in some sense, lost your rightful place. And you have now been put under the authority and lordship of another. In this case, you have sold yourself into servanthood to another person because you don't have the funds to be free and autonomous and follow the Lord uh, who made us free. And so he says you have the right of that and another person can redeem you. So they give the value of you to the person and you are then brought back into your proper place. Israel belonged to God. They had become ensnared in Egypt and he redeemed them out of Egypt by the blood of the Lamb and brought them back to himself so that they could Follow him and not their taskmasters in Egypt. You see what redemption is? Redemption is an important concept because the redeemed person is now free to serve the true Lord and not another person. Now, we could go into this in a number of ways, but uh, we don't have time for that. But I want to give you another passage related to that. In Numbers chapter 3, the next book over. Chapter 3, verse 40, God says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Number every firstborn male of the sons of Israel from a month old upward, and make a list of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me, I am the Lord. 
instead of all the firstborn among the sons of Israel. And the cattle of the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the cattle of Israel. Now what's going on here is God, because He had redeemed them by the blood of the firstborn of Egypt, and He had saved their firstborn, He said, all the firstborn belong to Me. Firstborn of animal, firstborn of your household, they all belong to Me. So technically, they should have been given over to become priests to the Lord, like Hannah did with Samuel. But God said, I'm not going to take your firstborn, I'm going to take the tribe of Levi. I'll take the Levites, and you then can redeem your firstborn. So Jews to this day will take their firstborn, they will come in before the ark, they will give the value of that firstborn, based on the valuation of the book of Numbers, and redeem their firstborn, knowing that that is a substitution of the Levites for them. Redemption puts a person back in their proper place. We were created in the image of God. We were damaged by the sin of Adam. We are going to be recreated, redeemed in the resurrection into the image of God's Son. And that redemption will put us in our proper place. He is Lord because He created us. He is Lord because He has redeemed us. One last passage for this part. Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49:22 Thus says the Lord God, behold I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my standard to the peoples and they will bring your sons in their bosom and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders Kings will be your guardians and their princes your nurses. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet. And you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. Put to shame. Can the prey be taken from a mighty man or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? Thus says the Lord. Even the captives of the mighty man will be taken away, and the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. I will contend with the one who contends with you, and I will save your sons. I will feed your oppressors their own flesh, and they will become drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh will know that I am the Lord, your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. God says to Israel, you can be spread all over the earth, doesn't matter, you're mine. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to gather you back. And if somebody gets up in my face and says, you're not taking them back, you watch. That's the redeemer of the Lord, right? He is creator. He is redeemer. Why would we not obey him? Why would we not do what he says? Well, Galatians tells us that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, Israel. And to bring them the redemption that will come through Yeshua, the salvation, Yeshua, as His name is called. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're told that we, 
Gentiles are bought with a price. And we are to glorify God with our body. We also have been redeemed along with Israel. Awaiting the time when God will establish the kingdom. The creator and redeemer will fulfill everything until he brings us into the new creation. Uh, And we will truly sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Now I want you to understand... That Jesus has been given the title Lord. Acts chapter 2. Verse 32. Peter says in his sermon there on Pentecost... This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from God the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but He Himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, meaning Jesus, both Lord and Messiah. So in the raising of Jesus from the dead, bringing him up to sit at the right hand of God, he is now declared to be Lord and he is declared to be Messiah. He, has, he will be the judge, and He will be the king, and He will be the one who commands, and He will be the one who will punish and will uh, give reward. Now, where in the world did this come from? Well, I want you to see a passage that you know real well, that we tend to go over what it says quickly without thinking about it. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, verse 18. Before Jesus gives his instructions to his disciples that they are to uh, make disciples, teaching everything that they've been taught to these disciples, he sets the foundation absolutely clear. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I want you to think about that for a second. When Jesus was raised from the dead, God gave him full authority as King of kings and Lord of lords to be the one who has full authority and the final word over everything in heaven and on earth, including all their inhabitants, with one exception. There is one exception to the lordship of Jesus. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. 
we get the exception. And this is a difficult passage because it is filled with pronouns. So I'm going to read it, having placed in it what the pronouns would say, so that you don't get lost in the he's, him's, and all of that. Now, Messiah has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, in Messiah all will be made alive, each in his first order. Messiah the firstfruits, after that those who are Messiahs at his coming. And then comes the end, when Jesus hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when the Father has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for Jesus must reign until the Father has put all enemies under Jesus' feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For God the Father has put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet. But when the Holy Spirit says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that God the Father is accepted who put all things in subjection to Jesus. When the things are subjected to Jesus, then Jesus himself will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to Jesus, so that God may be all in all. Incredible passage. Completely obscured by all the pronouns. At this point in time, everything is being put under Jesus' feet. And the first who should be coming to his feet in obedience and bending the knee and confessing him should be those who claim to follow him. And this is our confession. Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, Paul is quoting Moses and giving kind of an interpretation of the Deuteronomy passage. And he says, what does it say? What does the scripture say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are preaching. If you confess with your mouth, Yeshuat Adonai. Curios, Jesus, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which is the whole point of this, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, the righteousness of faith that, that uh, Abraham had, and with the mouth he confesses, that results in salvation. For the scripture says, the one who believes in him will not be put to shame, will not be disappointed. So this one, who by resurrection from the dead, ascension to the Father, who sits awaiting his kingdom to be established, and has all authority in heaven and on earth given to him except for the Father himself. He has a question for us. And that question is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Luke, chapter 6, 
verse 46. Why do you call me Lord? Lord, and do not do what I say. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred and the torrent burst against the house, could not shake it because it had been well built. Well-built Christian life is built on obedience to the Lord. Not faith. But you're only going to obey to the point that you trust. But faith without works is dead. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like the man who built a house on the ground without any foundation... And the torrents burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Oh, we do stuff, but we're not doing stuff under lordship in obedience to what he said. We're doing it our way and asking him to bless it. There's a difference between, Lord, speak, for your servant hears, versus God, look what I'm doing, bless it for me. And America has become the Lord, look what we're doing, bless it for us. And we need to turn and say, Lord, speak for your servant hears. So that one day we will hear the Lord say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So lordship is the awareness of our redemption. And that acknowledges that redemption by believing the resurrection And confessing Jesus as Lord. That confession is a commitment to struggle in obedience to Him in this life. Anticipating full obedience to His commands and authority in the kingdom to come. It understands that He is judge of the living and the dead. And will reward and punish all men. Both the redeemed and the lost. But Lordship is a struggle. You may have noticed that. When you say, I'm going to obey God, I'm going to walk in His ways, there are all kinds of things that get in there and cause interference. And so, I don't talk about perfect lordship. I talk about the struggle of lordship. And next week, I want to talk about the things that get in the way of the struggle of lordship. But if you have the biblical mindset that I will obey the Lord... As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As soon as those words come out of your mouth, the world, the flesh, and the devil gang up to say, oh no, you won't. And we'll talk about how to overcome that using the biblical worldview next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.